0: Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Over several episodes, we're discussing the value you provide as a diabetes care and education specialist, and how you can leverage that value to promote your role. You can access a new toolkit and paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash value toolkit. In this episode, we're talking about your value in the context of person-centered care and behavioral, mental, and emotional well-being. Dr. Bill Polanski joins us to discuss how you can leverage your role at the center of the care team to improve outcomes. Bill, welcome to the huddle. Hi, glad to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you, especially since we're talking about person-centered care and behavioral health and emotional well-being. You know, I would say like over the past 10 to 20 years in the healthcare system, I've there's been this rise in ideas around care models. So we had like individualized care. We went into patient-centered care. Then there's the patient-centered medical home. And now we have person-centered care. And it really is this linguistical maze, I would say. But, you know, one thing in conversations that I've had talking with you is really that a lot of this hinges on the behaviors. And it's not just the behavior of the person with diabetes, it's really the behavior you know, across the spectrum, from the healthcare professional to the caregiver to the person with diabetes. And I have to say, you're one of our favorite behavioral health experts that we can always tap on. So happy to have you here talking about this person-centered care model. And before we dive into this, I would love for you maybe to share with our listeners a little bit about your background.
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. As you know, my name is Bill Polanski. I'm a diabetes psychologist. This is uh, what I've done exclusively for more than 30 years. I'm a professor at the University of California at San Diego, and I'm also the president of the Behavioral Diabetes Institute. Of course, I am also, in addition to being a diabetes psychologist, a certified diabetes care and education specialist. So I'm happy to be with you.
0: That's why we always tap on you for this topic. So I guess just jumping right into this, you know, as I talk through that like mishmash and that maze of um, what I would call person-centered care, is there any way you can make this easy for us? You know what is person-centered care from your perspective?
1: I think when you refer to it as a mishmash, that's probably the smartest thing you could do. It's a mess. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure what information it gives us. I grit my teeth every time I hear this idea of person-centered care, just because who on earth is going to be opposed to that? like, yeah, I don't like person-centered care. I like numbered-centered care. I mean, how? what a horrible thought. (laughs) I think what's somehow embedded in this idea is our concern that we often see things that look like care that doesn't seem person-centered, that is more focused on, you know, Mrs. Smith, just tell me what your numbers are. I'll decide whether you're a good or bad person and we're done. And obviously that isn't very nice but also doesn't necessarily lead to positive outcomes for the individual. If we could somehow dump the idea of person-centered care, I would be delighted.
0: <laughs> and if we could dump it, what would you call it?
1: Care. I would call it care.
0: <laughs> no, 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 that's great. Well, we will run with care throughout the rest of throughout the rest of this conversation. You know, one thing that we have talked about and that I've loved hearing from you about is that whole idea of listening. And that's sort of like what peaked in my mind of the behaviors in care and what care really is. And that it isn't just one way, that it may be, you know, a back and forth. And it takes that really well-honed skill of listening. So what would you say makes a great listener?
1: You're right to bring that up. I mean, that really is, should be at the heart of care, right? Or or we, I guess we're supposed to call person-centered care. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that In your interactions with your patients, it needs to be an interaction. It needs to be, you know, a two-way street. And unfortunately, we know, oftentimes in clinical care, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes just because we've devised a system where healthcare providers are just too busy and they are overwhelmed with having limited time to see patients, too much paperwork, too much regulations about what they're supposed to do in the limited time they have available, And it doesn't leave time for human contact. And when you don't leave time for human contact, you don't leave time for actually anything particularly valuable to happen, especially if you want your patients to do well over the course of time, because it really isn't just a nice thing. It's really critical. One of the things that we've seen in all the training programs that we've done over the years is despite meeting so many wonderful, kind, compassionate healthcare providers a very large number of them are terrible listeners, terrible. And they don't mean to be, but they just are. And one of the most important reasons why is because most healthcare providers, myself included, we are often overtrained to be problem solvers and our time is limited. So, you know, here's Mr. Smith in front of me. I recognize there's one particular issue that Mr. Smith is struggling with that's making his diabetes hard to manage. And then I'm just going to jump on, oh, Mr. Smith, I got some great ideas for you. Here we go. Let's just try this. Oh, that doesn't work. We'll try this. We get into advice giving and problem solving, usually before we should. So we jump to that, and therefore it becomes difficult to actually restrain healthcare providers to say, hang on a minute, let's take a few more minutes, and let's make sure we've really got the story that we really know what's going on with this individual, and that doesn't mean having to take a huge amount of time, so that we can really respond accordingly. And not just to help us respond accordingly, but as I think you and I have discussed previously, we actually have pretty good evidence now that when our patients perceive that we are trustworthy, when we are trying to listen, when we're trying to be on the same side as our patients, we know that outcomes are better. One of my favorite studies recently from the UK suggests you actually see a pretty profound impact on reducing mortality in in folks with type 2 diabetes. So this supposedly touchy-feely stuff like learning how to be a good listener, learning how to have a bit of empathy and to encourage trust in your patients is of extraordinary medical value over the course of time.
0: And it might actually help us solve those problems quicker even if it's not evident right up front or it doesn't feel right, would you say?
1: Yes, I think that's exactly right.
0: And so you mentioned earlier, which I love that idea of restrain, right? Because you can almost feel yourself trying to jump in and solve a problem. And if you could restrain yourself, and I don't know if you could give us tips in two minutes on this podcast, that might be hard, but do you have one or two tips that you could give our listeners to say, here's one thing you could do to just restrain yourself in the moment? Uh, Pinch yourself? How about that? Oh, no, you probably want something better than that. (laughs) Oh, I like that one. Yeah.
1: In the programs that, that we do, one of our first exercises is we'll often ask healthcare providers to pair off and ask the other individual to just talk about some healthy change they've been wanting to make in their life that they just haven't gotten around to making it yet. And the job of the first healthcare provider is to be a good interviewer and to take less than five minutes and to get the story, to think of yourself as not an interventionist, but as a journalist, and that your job is to get the story. Can you understand what your partner is saying about what they're thinking about wanting to change? How come they haven't gotten around to it yet? Can you put yourself in your partner's footsteps and get a sense of what that's like? And that takes a few minutes to do, and it takes practice. You know, This lies at the heart of motivational interviewing, which despite it being very uh, well known, is actually very hard to train people to take on a motivational interviewing approach towards their patients and to maintain those new habits over the course of time. Because we're all creatures of habit, and we tend to go back to what we're used to doing. And because we're under all these pressures, we put aside those listening skills and go back to advice giving and problem solving too quickly. So what's the secret other than pinching yourself? Practice, practice, practice.
0: And then you get comfortable with it, I bet.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, you know, the other thing you've talked about, and you mentioned it earlier, was this human contact piece. And maybe that comes with practice, right? The more practice you have with listening, the more you're going to get the feel for this human contact. And, and that really is based around how do we make people care? Um, how do we keep them interested and that's it, it is around the motivational interviewing pieces you talked about. Is there anything else in there that you could tell our listeners of how do you help people care? So I'm really glad you brought that up. Let me
1: disagree with your premise, if you don't mind. One of the most important things that we believe here at our Institute, given all the thousands of patients we've seen over the course of all these years, is that we don't really think we have to help anybody to care. Mm-hmm. That. We feel very certain that nobody with diabetes is unmotivated to want to live a long and healthy life. Neither am I, and neither are you. Our job is not to teach people to care more. Our job is to figure out what's in the way. If you can believe that none of us are unmotivated to live a long and healthy life, then Mm. your job is very different. You can feel, as you should, much more respectful towards your patients just like me, just like you, they're interested in doing well, but what's in the way? Now, what's in the way might be stuff in their environment. They can't afford their medications. It might be some of their beliefs about diabetes and what they've learned over the course of years. It it could be all sorts of things. But this leads back to our idea of being a good listener. Before you can be a problem solver, your job needs to be sitting with this individual and go, well, what's in the way of this person who's perfectly motivated to have a long and healthy life. And it leads to the other element of being a good listener that I think is important to say, and why we see it so powerfully linked to positive outcomes in the long run, which is because at the heart of being a good listener is to be respectful. Mm -hmm. It means that I respect you as an individual. I respect the fact that I believe you're well-motivated to live a long and healthy life. My job is to help figure out what's in the way and to try and work with you to resolve that. But that comes from a place of respect, and if there's one thing you know we're seeing a lot now, being talked about and being written about in diabetes, it's about an appreciation of all the stigma and the shaming and blaming that's been going on for years. And at the heart of being a good listener is that your patients are deserving of your respect.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I think, um, and I appreciate you coming back and bringing that up and kind of turning that because you're you're absolutely right. As I'm as I'm listening to you, then those are very empowering empowering words. You know, Bill, we're getting close to the end of our time here. I would love if you could share maybe one piece of advice for our listeners and maybe around that, you know, I've heard you do talks on getting patients in the mood. And that's always been like a fun talk to me. And it's always been inspiring. So maybe if you could share a little bit there or anything you want to talk about, any (laughs) any advice for our listeners.
1: Sure. I'd be glad to. And thanks for bringing that up. As you mentioned, I love talking about this issue that because we have focused so much on diabetes about behavior change, especially diabetes educators, the mistake we often make, myself included over the years, is that we rush to behavior change again too soon, often before people are really ready to do that. They're still thinking about it, they're still ambivalent, they're still not so sure that you know what you, the provider, know what you're talking about or they're still feeling mixed about these medications you're recommending or these dietary changes you're suggesting. And so before you can really be successful at suggesting and encouraging any kind of behavior change, you really have to make sure the person you're talking to is ready to do that. And as you mentioned, when I talk about this, since I think it's very important to talk to audiences in a way that they'll appreciate what I'm talking about, I like to call it the principle of foreplay, that you don't want to rush into well encouraging any kind of behavior change you might think of unless you're lit some candles put on some nice music and take an action to make sure the person you're talking to right now is in the mood otherwise you end up giving yourself problems down the road and perhaps chasing someone out of your office perhaps they're never going to come back and perhaps they're going to struggle with whatever's been recommended so this idea of taking time to again Come alongside, which is how we speak about it in motivational interviewing, to let your patient know that you understand their perspective and where they're coming from. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. And trying to understand, again, the things that might be in their way. And again, making it more of an interaction and conversation so that you can make certain that the individual you're speaking with is able to say, Yeah, okay, I get it. That makes some sense. What do you got to offer? And it's only then we start talking about behavior change. I know we're being a bit vague, partly because our time is so limited, but I encourage everyone just to hold on to that principle of understanding that don't rush to behavior change. Think about making sure you're talking to someone who's really interested and ready to do so. And that's, again, where our listening skills are so critical. I hope that makes sense.
0: You know what it does? And I think that picture you gave us with the you know getting in the mood and the foreplay honestly yes it's a fun story right but it is one of those things that we can remember and when you're in that moment with people um having that conversation these are all things that we can keep in mind to just slow down and don't rush and just listen so yeah i think this was wonderful and i know that our listeners are going to benefit from all of this and i want to say thank you so much for joining us today this has been a wonderful conversation, and I hope you joined us again on The Huddle.
1: Oh, it would be my pleasure, and it's been nice talking with you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, Bill Polanski shared the importance of listening and understanding what your patients want. Consider the barriers to improved care to find out what's in the way. Instead of trying to help a patient solve a problem, take a pause and make sure you truly understand what is going on with the individual so you can respond compassionately. For more on what you can do to leverage your value in person-centered care, check out a new toolkit with resources to help you grow. You can access the toolkit and paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash value toolkit. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.